You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hi, welcome. Good morning. I'm Tiger. My pronouns are they, them. I'm so glad you're here. Um, It's Affirming Sunday, which is, yeah, yeah, this thing that um, somebody made up. I don't know. It's it's just it's just about churches right just about churches and queer people and we belong together so welcome if you're queer we are so glad you're here um i don't think we'll ever get used to it i don't want to get used to it right i'm always like are they queer are they queer are they queer the straight people you're welcome too but i'm i'm here for the queers um (laughs) i'll tolerate you i'm tolerant so you're welcome here. If, if you're new to an affirming church, we're so glad you're here. If you're a kid, we're so glad you're growing up here. Um, because, and because we're affirming, it means that you can be yourself, which means that you can really listen to yourself. You can listen to who do I feel like I am? What do I feel like my gender is? And maybe you know, you'll change your pronouns, and maybe you'll change them again, and we're here for that. Kids, we're here for you. Whatever, we'll follow you. We'll see you. We'll love you, right? Whatever you feel like your body's telling you that you think you might want to do with it and who you want to do it with, you can listen and you can feel that and you can explore that. And you don't have to be separate from yourself, right? And and we want to see who you really are. We want to see what you really bring and all the colors that that is. And for some parents of queer kids, you might be worried, right? How is that going to end up? Are they going to find a partner? Are they going to find somebody who really sees them and loves them? Well, 18 years ago today, I married that guy. And our parents and our grandparents really prayed for good partners for us. And we've been great partners, so uh, it happens. and because we're an affirming church you can be one with yourself be one with us and you don't have to hide from god whoever you are whatever's in there god put it in there you know and you don't have to hide he wants to know they want to feel that and commune and hear about it and talk and be a part of the exploration so all right next restrooms uh, they're locked open <laughs> they're dead bolted open if it's closed, there's probably somebody in there. Um, when you get in, deadbolted closed. When you get out, deadbolted open again. Uh, also, if you walk in here, go up the stairs. There's a restroom right there. Um, okay, let's pray for the kids. Um, at our house, here's what we do when we pray. We say one, two. So, one, two. All right. God, oh, thank you. Thank you for really being as big as you are. Thank you for not being the God that I was taught that you were a long time ago, but for really being you. And thank you so much for what is happening in City Church and churches all over the world where all of your diversity that you've created is welcome. Thank you so much for bringing me and my family to City Church and the other people who are here. And I pray for those people who need a church that is affirming, please draw them, woo them, bring them to those churches. I pray for all our kiddos here, especially the queer ones. I pray that you help them to 
listen to themselves and know themselves and, and not hide any parts from you, but explore with you and with your word and with your community. I pray for the parents of all the kids and especially the parents of the queer kids and give them faith and patience and a willingness to get it wrong and a willingness to say sorry and give their kids patience and a willingness to forgive and to be compassionate about what their parents are going through. Pray for all the kids at Lafayette Elementary School and in this entire Wrigley community, especially the queer ones. Thank you for all the queer kids. Thank you for all the things they're gonna teach us. And I pray your blessing on them as the summer starts for safety and health. And most of all that this summer they can have an experience of you that they can hold close for the rest of their lives. Thank you, bless us in this service and as we go forth throughout our week, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bill White, everybody. And where's, uh, so I'm Bill White, I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church and this is Fearless Dottie Olson. And she is our pastoral resident. Yeah, she's kind of pastoral. She's kind of fancy. Um, and so that was just so great, Tiger. Thank you so much uh, for such a, just a great welcome to us. And it's so good to be with everyone here today uh, at City Church. We are in a sermon series right now called Complicated Jesus because Jesus is kind of complicated. Yeah, Jesus is really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and today's going to get a little messy. Okay, the sermon where, you, so we, we asked people like, hey, what passages do you want? And someone put this one up, which is like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's that one. It's that passage. Um, and so you're like, wow, we're really, we're, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we are. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. So anyway, because Jesus is complicated. And so last week we kind of talked about like the mainstream Jesus, you know, like in the majority, Jesus is like, man, he's amazing, awesome, compassionate, healing, holistic, all this stuff. Right. Um, and then there's some side roads. And so today we're kind of going off on a side road saying, OK, this is a really bizarre passage. Wow. What do we do with that? So our buddy Edward uh, is uh, going to read scripture for us today. So welcome, Edward Torrales. There he is. And typically we stand around City Church um, in honor of God and God's word because it's a gift to have it, even though it's strange. Uh, oh, you want to you wanna read it out of here or do you want to read it off of there? Oh, just on my phone. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Hi, good morning, everyone. Okay, this is a passage, Matthew 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. 
Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Here we go. <laughs> it's an awkward passage, right? I mean, you know, Jesus calling a woman a dog, uh, not answering her request to be healed, all this stuff, right? There's, so we're going to kind of look at it in three parts. We're going to look a little bit at Matthew, who wrote this, a little bit at the woman, and then a little bit at Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. And when we, when we look at Matthew, you know, when people, when they wrote down the Bible, they, they had certain perspectives, the people who wrote scripture, okay? So Matthew writes a lot about sort of the Jewish perspective. He quotes more passages from the Jewish scriptures than anyone else. And Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is sort of King Jesus, King of all the nations, right? And it's a little bit different kind of angle from like Luke is always talking about the poor and, and the marginalized, right? Uh, and Mark is a different, you know, so there are just some different takes, right? So when, when Matthew jumps into this portion, he's using, he uses a key word here. And it, it's a, we don't necessarily notice it, but it's really bizarre. All right. And so I just want to point it out. So this is what he says in verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. A Canaanite woman. Now, right here at the beginning, everyone who originally got this, they're paying attention. They're like, that's a bizarre way to talk. Because there were no Canaanite women. There were no Canaanites. That was a term that was used 1,500 years before Jesus. All right? And it kind of harks back to when Israel came into the Promised Land, drove out the Canaanites, and sort of took over their cities and took over everything. And they, they haven't been around forever. But Matthew uses that word. A, a Canaanite woman. He, he's using a word that's going to trigger something. Again, remember, this is the most Jewish of the Gospels. He's going to trigger something in the minds of, of the readers who are thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. And in some ways, what Matthew's doing is He's, he's sort of making a theological point, you could say. Like, hey, look how great Jesus is. You remember those enemies of God? Like, he even takes them in. Right? So in some ways, and, and it kind of fits with Matthew's overall theme. But there's a sense in which he's using this woman and her ethnic background, particular, and, and there's a aspect to this ethnic background that we've got to unpack, but he's using that as a theological prop. He's, he's reducing her. Doesn't give her a name. Just calling her by her ethnicity. And not only her ethnicity, but literally it was, I mean, the Canaanites were colonized by Israel. They were conquered. And so it's, it's like an ethnic slur. It's like, an, it's a dig. Again, he's using it as a theological prop to make his point, like, hey, look how big Jesus is. But it is at her expense. That's awkward. I, 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 that's, ugh. 
It's in the, it's like, it's, it's in the Bible. And, you know, just as I wrestled with this and thought about like, man, what do we do with this? And Dottie and I were talking, it's like, I wonder if part of it is, is God puts it there, leaves it there, so that we would pay attention. We would see what Matthew's doing. We would understand part of the bigger story. And, and many churches, that's what they'll preach out of this passage. Like, hey, look, Jesus goes for everyone, which is awesome. But there's another layer under where we get to look and go, I can't believe Matthew did that. And I can't believe I do that. The things that I think about people when I judge them simply by their status. The way that I use people as theological props. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna extract something from you and, and I'm gonna use that to make my point. And sort of, you're just a project. And I suspect many of us here have felt used before as theological props. I know I have done this myself. I am deeply regretful. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Bill did such a good job of giving us a little bit of the landscape of just entering into this text, how uncomfortable it is. And anytime we're studying stories with marginalized folks, and, and in this story, a woman, and, and marginalized based off ethnicity, for Matthew, um, it's it's really important to just pay attention to what are the descriptors surrounding her story. And so so we enter into the story and she's almost painted as this unstable and crazy person that is a nuisance. So in verse 22, Matthew writes, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. It's a really interesting text. Some translations say that Jesus ignored her. So from the start, we're going, okay, this woman is coming and she's painted almost like so, you know, frantic. Like when we read this story, I also, does anyone ever read stories in the Bible and go, I literally have no idea what just happened. Like <laughs> that's, I've reread this story for this Sunday at least 20 times. Cause I'm like, there's crumbs, there's the doc, there's Jesus. Okay. Like so I, I've had a hard time locating myself in this because it's a little confusing, but this woman comes up to Jesus and she's saying, can you please heal my daughter? And the way that the story is painted, Jesus ignores her and the disciples are actually irritated, right? They're like, ugh, like send her away. So we're kind of introduced to her in a very dehumanizing way, a nuisance, like she's crazy. But in society, we would never talk about people outside of our culture as crazy, right? We would never talk about marginalized folks as being unstable, right? We would never mock or restrain a mother desperately trying to her protect her kid, right? No, we would never do that. That's, this was just during that time. 
But let's notice how the story shifts, because when I reread this story, I don't see an unstable woman. I see a mother. I see a mother that wants to protect her child. So we reread it, right? So, uh, yeah, in verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your requ request is granted and your daughter has healed at the moment. So the story shifts from her being this this, I don't know, dehumanized figure where then she is actually an agent. And she, it, it's a really interesting push and pull because she's being humiliated. She is ex excluded from the cool guys club. She's being humiliated and she's coming humbly saying, I need help. I want my daughter to be healed. And as she's saying that, they're saying, nope, not for you. You don't belong here. And she's going, actually, I do. Actually, I am worthy, and my daughter is too. It's a push and pull of humility and agency. The woman is initiating her daughter's healing. She is stepping out of her societal place, and she is even pushing back against Jesus. Quite provocative, right? To say, no, Jesus. I've got something to tell you. And what's incredible is Jesus is not rebuking her. Jesus isn't saying, no, no, no. Jesus listens to her and changes. There is um, Kat Armas in Abelita Faith says, this narrator, narrator tells us that a Canaanite woman from these territories came out to meet Jesus. The Canaanite woman, like many black, indigenous, and other women of color in our midst, is characterized not by her name, but by her cultural, religious, and ethnic identity as an outsider who enters a space that she shouldn't have had entered. And then she writes, this mama comprehends what so many have missed, what my abuelita and so many other unrecognized theologians understood so deeply. Food is survival and food is sustenance. And when it comes to Jesus, the bread of life, there is enough food to go around for those who gather around this table. So we see the shift in the story where this woman is the hero. And it's awesome. It's a, it's a really incredible shift. It even there's a complication in the text, right? We're, we're faced with this at times dehumanizing text and yet she's the hero. She is the one that has something so important to say and in her agency and stepping out of her societal place and her marginalized position, she is the one with power and authority that says, no, actually, I do belong here. And Jesus, you get to learn from that. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Love that, right? Well, and she's the only one in the in the New Testament who speaks back to Jesus in a parable. So she understands the parable and speaks back in a parable. I mean, she, she's it. She's like, I mean, across the, I mean, the Bible, she's, I mean, she's like Hagar in the Old Testament, the only one who named God. The only person who actually gave God a name was this marginalized woman, Hagar. And there are like 40 names of God, right, that were kind of get presented. But this is, that's this woman, like, she's like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> She's and awesome. he goes, great is your faith, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. amen. 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it's this awesome, awesome moment. And so let's, now, let's, let's pause for a second, and, and now let's look at Jesus. And this is where it gets even more uncomfortable for, for some of us, particularly like for me. This is uncomfortable because she tells Jesus, hey, you, you got it wrong. And Jesus agrees. You're right, I, I did have it wrong. What do, you, what do you do with that? There's a sense in which, in this, in this passage, Jesus had to be the one who changed. Jesus had to be the one who learned. Jesus was the one who grew up. Not her. Now, this is not the Jesus that I was taught. Right? I was taught of robot Jesus, you know, God, the God robot. I, I know what you're thinking. I know. Stop thinking that. Naughty. You know, like, you know, he just walks around like, you know, deet, 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 deet. bad thought. Stop it. Okay, you, yep, I'll heal you. You, you know, it's like, but robot Jesus is not what this book describes. He's got everything down pat and like, I got this, I got life down. No, no, no. You know, interesting. I want to share just a couple of passages. So in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, it talks about when, when, Luke was, was, when Jesus was really young. And it, it talks about how um, that Jesus grew up. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Jesus had to grow. And to grow in wisdom, right? And, and it says later at the end of that chapter, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Apparently, Jesus didn't have all the wisdom when he started. He actually had to grow in that, right? And then listen to this crazy verse in the book of Hebrews. Probably it doesn't, it's, they never say who Hebrews was written by because they don't know. So obviously it was written by a woman. Right? Because that's why it doesn't have a name associated with it. Anyway, so the author of Hebrews, whoever she may have been, she writes this. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. So Hebrews 2 is talking specifically about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is. And it says that he was not perfect. You heard that? That's actually what the Bible says. He had to be made perfect. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus was corrupted or full of sin or anything like that, but he hadn't reached full stature yet. He had to grow, and the Scripture says he, he learns that through what he suffered, what he went through. And in this story, she tells him, no, that's not right. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see it now. And he's surprised and he learns. I mean, he grew up in a traditional, conservative, sort of Jewish, ethnic culture in a bubble. This is probably the first person he's ever met from this other particular culture. Right? 
And Matthew's dealing with his own stuff. The woman's being this total, just, just total awesome. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I probably shouldn't say the word, but what she's yes. being, but that's what she's, she's being she's that. She's doing that. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus is here growing. You know, the most common phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself, the name that he gives himself, and other New Testament authors pick up, it's the, it's the most common, is some people call it son of man. You'll see it translated that way. It literally just means like the human one. He, he calls himself over and over. I, I am the human one. 80 time, 81 times he's called the human one. So what if... What if there are two miracles in that, maybe three miracles in this passage? One is this awesome woman of faith and this healing of this child, which are amazing. And there's another miracle, which is that Jesus shows us how to be human. You got to grow up. I know I do. I actually want to be more human. Yeah, and it might sound like we're we're jabbing on Jesus, but we're actually not. We're we're celebrating that that Jesus is becoming, right? That Jesus with with the power in the story has humility and says, I get to learn from you. I am still becoming. So again, it's not that Jesus is corrupted, but that Jesus is human. And that is that's the piece where we're not trying to harp on Jesus. We're actually really excited by this example of how to be Christ-like. And that is to look at someone different from us and say, oh yeah, you, you really do have something to teach me. Yeah. So good. I'm gonna turn it over to you. All right, we are shifting now. We are gonna invite our sweet friend Rod up to share his story. Give him a round Rod of applause. Gita, come on down. <laughs> Oh, will you put it on the stand? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I need my hands. You need your hands. That was our request. I need my hands. Is that the right height? Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it's good. Okay. All right. So we have our dear friend, Rod, here. He, we are kindred spirits. Um, we hang out in the back together, and sometimes he holds my baby in the back, and it's really great, and that's how we've come to know each other, and it's really wonderful. And you are so great. And... Yes, and so you, we want to hear a little bit about your story. First, I'm Rod. I'm a Canaanite woman. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I want you all to know that. That's who I am. Amazing. Okay. okay, so what brought you to City Church? How long have you been coming here? Well, it was actually lockdown that brought me to City Church. Um, and I'm so glad Karen is in the audience today in the congregation because Karen helped me through a very difficult time. Um, I think lockdown, or even when it was partial lockdown, uh, allowed us time to pray and think. Zoom is business for me, so online church is extremely difficult. Um, so when I was in lockdown, I realized I wasn't happy in my church. Uh, things had changed, life had changed. No fault to the specific church, but I was no longer comfortable in my church, and I found myself not because of an anti-LGBTQ thing. It was just a different culture and a different community. So I started doing research. I got online and I wanted an open and affirming church. And um, 
literally people weren't posting changes online. You, di you didn't know what was happening with church. I probably made six calls. And I'm going to give a little shout out to this guy. He was on vacation. He called me back the very same day. And I remember I said, uh, um, I just need church. I need to be back in church. I need to be part of church life. And he said, well, Rod, we're, we're still online. And I said, well, when you open, let me know. Well, the first opportunity was sunrise service. And uh, I went and I brought my sons. You've probably seen my sons with me on occasion. And we just felt back in church. It was so special. Uh, it took a while for church to open back up. So there was Wrigley, uh, the house, the front yard. And uh, just being with all of you meant so, so much. And Karen at that point had explained that she had left her church and seeking another church. So uh, it just helped me because it's like breaking up with a, a friend, a partner, a family member. You feel guilty that you're not there. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I got here. Thanks for sharing. And I think you said that once um, Bill has your number, you like can't get rid of him. You can't. <laughs> He's, you know, I'm so glad Brenna balances him out because, I mean, there's a balance here that's really needed in the church. Oh my gosh. Okay, we'll move on from there because okay. we could all have too much fun here. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a bad habit of every time I'm on the mic making fun of Bill. So, okay. Kind of easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Bill. You're amazing. Okay. So can you just share a little bit about your story with your church experience and um, specifically when you have felt pushed out by church? You know, I loved what Tiger said today in regard to just welcoming all of us. But um, when you're raised in church, um, and you don't quite know what you're dealing with um, and coming out. You start being beat up in church and uh, you accept being beat up. It's almost like you hear it, hear it so much that it just uh, continues. Mom was um, Southern Baptist, uh, German-Irish mom from Arkansas, moves to California, meets Roman Catholic Italian dad uh, in California, I'm going to say it, no kids, marriage made in hell. <laughs> it was a very bad experience. And it was because of the wrestling face. And when I would go to church, I'd always find out it was all about sin. It was not about love. It was not about a celebration of love. It was about sin. So finally, I postponed coming out until my late 20s. I didn't think I was engaged to be married. I was going to do the whole thing. And, um, and then I just realized I needed God in my life and I needed to continue him in my life. Uh, I did not seek out open and affirming though. I thought I'm gonna find a church. And you said something today, Bill, that, and both of you did, about Jesus changed his mind. <laughs> he went into a different, and then somehow in my thought, I thought I could change the mind of a pastor. He just needs to get to know me. Um, and that never once happened in the corporate church. I thought that they would get to know me, my family, my kids, my life, my convictions, my faith. It never, ever happened. And at one point, Dottie asked me something. She said, well, you know, why were you able to keep going? And, and I would say to my LGBTQ community plus, um, 
I've never been angry with God. I've been angry with man. And every time somebody within my community says, why are you, do you have a mind of your own? You're a robot. You've joined the enemy. I, I, t I try to tell them they're missing something so greatly. It was probably taking my kids to a very large corporate church that was wonderful. It was filled with industry. And my partner was with me at that time. And uh, every three months, the big sin sermon would happen. But I loved this church. I loved the sermon. And then I remember sitting there after two years, and I was sitting in the congregation, and the teen drama group got up, and the kids were doing a skit. And my kids were like two and three. And all of a sudden, it was these teenagers saying in front of the whole congregation, God's not cool with being gay. Who thinks God is being cool with being gay? And I thought, what am I doing to my children? I'm indoctrinating them. So that took me to this next step of finding open and affirming and thought that would happen. I was once, I, I thought again, I could change a pastor's mind and uh, went to a new church. I introduced myself, I said who I was. It was a local church here in Long Beach. And literally, um, I started uh, teaching elementary uh, kids church. I've been a board member, I've been on volunteer staff, I've done sermon rotation. Um, so I said I would do this for this church. And at one point he kept saying he wanted somebody full time. And I finally went to him and I said, I'll be full time. And that week, but he didn't get back to me. And that week I got a newsletter and it said the board member that was running for the salvation of the LGBT community. And this was one, she had one of the most difficult kids I ever had to teach in my life. And I thought, concentrate on your family. <laughs> You know, I mean, literally you go to anger. And I remember I got to talk to him about this and I went to talk to him and he said, uh, Rod, um, I'm glad you came to see me. Uh, you and I want to say his name, Glenn, have not changed at this time. We thought you would seek the truth. And the board has said that they would, if you're going to continue in our church, that you no longer receive communion. And I, I just, I didn't even know what to say with that. And I walked out, sent him a, a book, Max Lucado's Your Special. I don't know if you know it. Thought he might get something from it. He didn't, he didn't understand. And then went and sought out open and affirming. So I'm so thankful that I'm in a church like this. I'm so thankful yeah. that we're together. Um, and so thankful I can be me with my family with my friends. Uh, one point you said to me, and it was a question you asked, you said, and I love this part, uh, Byron's my best buddy and his partner over there, and I will be out and about. Hey, we, we can still have fun and be Christian, right? We'll go to a happy hour on occasion, and, and somebody will come up to us, and we're all together. Somebody will come up to us, and be all, we're all together, and they'll say, oh gosh, how do you guys know each other? Church. <laughs> what church is that? <laughs> I'm a board member. Uh, he does special music. This guy's on the spiritual team. And where's that church? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, um, I think 
like, as so many of us have heard this, and I, when Rod was telling me more of his story, there's just this sincere love for the church and for God. And this, this theme of wrestling with, I love church, I love God, why don't they, like, why doesn't the church love me? And um, your resilience through that has just been quite remarkable. Um, and your ability to go like, no, I've, I've seen God loving me all throughout this is just really incredible. So yeah, just one last question for sure. you. Um, can you tell us um, how have people learned from you with your specific identity of being, it's more than being gay and Christian, but you've, you've shared so much about your story, those two pieces being such a huge part and what some would say like conflict, but how have people learned from you? Yeah, that's a good question. And one we didn't practice, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I, a dear friend once said to me, Rod, one of the things I love about you is that you don't proselytize your faith. Um, I think it's how we walk our life that makes a difference. I, when we're out and about and people come up to us, it's something they see in us. And I think the one thing that has helped me in response uh, to the anger within the LGBT community, and by the way, it's deserved anger. It's so deserved, but it's uh, saying, I, I've never been angry with God. It's been man. It's been man. It's not God. And every time I say that, it, it pushes a conversation. And that conversation um, becomes critical. And I, I, my sons, they're a walking part of this. Um, I call them my little Bible stompers. They know so many better Bible stories than I do because they've been raised in church. So um, that, just walking the life I try to walk. Mm. Well, thank you. And let's just give it up for Rod for sharing your story. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, thank you. And I... I love that um, at City Church, we all have stories where I think we could each sit down with each other for a couple hours over a cup of coffee and just like keep going in. That only scratched the surface of his story and it's such a good, deep, rich one. And there's similarities and, and differences, but this theme of what happens when we're pushing people out, right? Like there's a lot of hardship there. So we wrestle this morning, we wrestle with the story of the woman who is labeled as without a name as the Canaanite woman. We wrestle with that. And we wrestle with stories like, like Rod's of what, what happens when, when we're not growing, right? Or how do, you, how do you be resilient when you're in that situation where you have been pushed out? Can you step in full humility and most importantly, agency and say, I am worthy. This table is for me.